Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to another episode here on GEMS Podcast. I am your host, Genesis Amaris Kemp, the host with the mostest, and today I will be interviewing Maggie Clockingay. And here's a bit about Maggie. Maggie is a financial coach and the owner of Make a Money Mindship, a financial coaching and planning firm in central Illinois. Maggie helps individuals and couples to reduce their overwhelm and shame with money by sharing with them why they've made past spending choices, which empowers them to change their current spending patterns and achieve those financial goals they only dream about. Maggie teaches that once you discover your why, you can adjust your mindset and change your hows to achieve your what's. Maggie is a CFP and CPA and has been in the financial industry for 25 years. She thoroughly enjoys helping people put the pieces of their money puzzle together, not only solving the ubiquitous question of where is my money going, but also helping her clients identify and set achievable goals, including knowing their numbers so they can leave toxic jobs and pursue positions that fill their souls. You can find out more about Maggie's financial coaching packages at makeamoneymindship.com as well as follow her on social media platforms and all of this information will be shared again at the end. And without further ado, please welcome Maggie Clockingay to GEMS Podcast. Hi, Genesis. How are you? I am doing well, Maggie, and thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your expertise with the audience. I know today we're going to talk about money scripts. So what is money scripts? Why is it important? And why does everyone need to hop on the bandwagon now? Oh, yes. I love talking about money scripts, Genesis. So money scripts are basically beliefs that we've had about our childhood And we learned these beliefs are about money that we learn from our loved ones. So whether they're our parents or grandparents or other caregivers and these beliefs about money were their beliefs, our loved ones beliefs, not the ones that we had about money. But what happened was our, say our parents, they would tell us again and again, a specific thought that they had about money and it was their script. And that's where the, 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 term money scripts comes from. So Dr. Brad Klontz, he's a financial psychologist and a certified financial planner. And he and his father, Ted Klontz, coined the term money scripts. Um, and so basically what it means is, is that, you know, you have a script just like in a play or in a movie and you repeat that script again and again and again as you're practicing. But then what happens is if you're using the script for a different role, it doesn't fit. And so with money scripts, you may hear from your, you may have heard from your parents, something about money, a belief that they had again, and you heard it again and again. But then we may be carrying these money scripts into our present lives. We may have them subconsciously without even realizing realizing it. And we are still moving and spending and saving based on those money scripts. 
That is so true because whenever you think about money trips and we think about what our parents have said and what we have learned over time, like sometimes parents tell their kids, oh, we can't buy that because we don't have enough money for that. But do you really not have enough money for it or do you just not want to spend the money that you have to purchase that item? Or some people say, oh, we're broke or whatnot. And you're, you may not necessarily be broke, you may be frugal. So is it really a um, something to do with the paradigm shift? Because how you see money and how you attract money can also determine your level of success when it comes to money. Do you agree? I do, I do. And so one of the things, Genesis, that I do when I'm working with my clients is um, there is something that Brad Klontz has created called the Klontz Money Script Inventory Assessment. And what it does is to provide awareness um, into what are maybe some of these money scripts that we may show that we can then, once we have that awareness, like it said, then start to change. And that's one, one of the things I work on with my clients. So there's four main money scripts, so to speak, that the classes had identified. So the first one is money focus. And so that is a lot of what I see with my clients where they're really putting the emphasis on money. Not that money is a tool, but money is the end all be all. And so people are thinking more money, more things are going to make us happy. Um, the second one is money avoidance. Um, this is something where people may not have had money growing up. And so maybe when they come into it, say you have a windfall, we see these lottery winners, or you may see those professional athletes, right? All of a sudden the money's gone and you, and you think, how did they go bankrupt? It's because they weren't used to it because they, they didn't have that money. And so they're thinking maybe rich people are greedy or you know money is bad. And so they're just getting rid of it because they're outside their comfort zone with the money that they inherited or let windfall. Um, the third one is money status. And this is kind of that keeping up with the Joneses effect. So you, know, you might be more wanting those, those flashy things showing off. You may be telling people that you actually earn more than you really do. Um, and then the final one is money avoidance. And somebody joked with me and said, oh, you've said that this is like the good one of the group. But if you're going to have one of these money scripts, probably better to have money vigilance. You may be a little bit anxious about money, but you're saving for it. If anything, the the problem is that with money vigilance, it's harder for you to then spend because you've been saving and saving, just knowing that you need to keep money, you know, more close to the vest. This is also where people may talk about that they're earning less than they actually are. And so where I see money vigilance actually is with our parents. So these are, you know, baby boomers who they have been saving and saving, and then it's time for them to essentially flip the script and say, it's, it's okay. You've been saving, now you can go spend. And it's really hard to make that paradigm shift. Mm, yeah, let's dive a little bit into money vigilance. Um, would you say that the people who are money vigilant are also the frugal ones? Because you're saving all this money, but then what happens whenever your expiration date comes and it's time for you to transition to the afterlife? What happens with all that money? Because you never really enjoyed the fruits of your labor because you were saving so much. And I think there needs to be a balance there. And I feel like the people who are money vigilant should have a financial coach 
or advisor to really help them navigate. Like you should have different buckets of money, like your savings, your spending, um, your vacation money, because sometimes your spending money is not necessarily the same as your vacation money, depending on where you want to go. And there should be different buckets and different categories on how you choose to allocate your funds. And then for those people who are religious, like they believe in taking the 10% off top and paying it to the place of where they worship, or they say, I'm not really paying it to the place I'm worshiping, I'm paying it to God. No, I, I totally, yeah. So money vigilance, I totally agree on that. It is harder for people to spend money. So um, I was just coaching a couple. She has $90,000 in student loans, but she had $50,000 in, in her savings account. But it was very, very hard for her to take money out of the savings account, even if she's earning and has a, and is, has a wage as well. It's very hard for her to go ahead and take some of that money out of her savings because she was fearful of what would happen should an emergency happen. And we, we would talk that out because, you know, to, when you're thinking about the money that you've saved and you've, and you've allocated for, like what you were saying, Genesis, it may be, you may have money for savings. You may have a separate account for a vacation fund. And, and that's exactly what I do when I'm working with my clients is actually having separate savings accounts or separate goals within a savings account, depending on the bank account, because otherwise you're not giving yourself permission to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Right. You're working so hard. And then for what? Especially like what you were just saying at the beginning. What about if we're going into the afterlife and all you did was work with no play? And then that also brings you into money avoidance, too, because I want to work backwards. So we talked about money vigilance. Now let's talk about money avoidance. Like whenever you get clients that you work with, what are some of the top comments that you hear? Why are they avoiding money? And is it out of fear? Is it mindset? Or is it maybe their partner or their spouses is the one that's really um, avoiding money. And then because they want to have a happy life, happy home, they jump on the bandwagon. That's such a great question. I, I love working with couples because when they do the KMSI, they each get the assessment. And then when we're working together, then for them to see the, the reviews and the answers, and it gives them more compassion towards each other because then they can say, oh, that's why you go and buy 12 boxes of cereal every time you go to the grocery store. And really, it usually goes back to their childhood genesis, because what, what I've seen, um, like I had another couple, she was very, very scared to buy their first house. And we went into the KMSI and then just talked more about her feelings about it. And what came from it was that she grew up renting her mom would rent and they would, but they moved a lot. And it was usually they were trying to, you know, get out of maybe a toxic environment. And so she kind of alluded, you know, just escaping and not having, you know, if she didn't have anything permanent, it was okay because she could get out of something if she needed to. And so if there was so much more just behind her not wanting to buy a house. So it's really eye-opening. So for the money avoidance in that respect, you know, she also was thinking, okay, if, if I didn't have the money, then I don't have the money to buy a home. 
you know, and so to go ahead and, and really kind of peel back those layers, you know, I'll ask my clients, you know, to talk about it with couples or to journal about it because it's so eye-opening as to what can come from this, just that awareness. Wow. And that's powerful because as you were talking about it, people who rent, sometimes they have commitment issues. They don't want to be committed to a place for a long duration because it's what they have seen time and time again. And they feel like, oh, if something doesn't work out, I'll just pack up and move on to the next location. But there could be some other RCAs, root cause analysis, where that is stemming from. And if you never address the root, then you're not going to bear the fruit. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about um, the avatar that comes into a money windfall. So they hit the lottery or they're a professional athlete and they just blow money quickly. And we see these um, reality TV shows where it shows that these people are flat broke. And you're like, how can you spend a million dollars in one day? Or how can you do this? But they're so excited to have that money that it just slips through their fingers easily. And what whether taking that money and investing it, whether you're investing in the stock market or you're putting it in annuities or bonds or whatever for some rainy day, then you start to chip away on what else can I do monetary wise? Like if I won the lottery, one, I would pay off my mortgage because financial freedom is definitely where I want to be. Um, I don't have any student loans because me and my husband buckled down and we paid that off as soon as we got married and paid off the car because I don't want to be having debt lingering over my head. So how can we teach those who come into the money windfall how to really navigate that um, position they're in in life? Because sometimes people will attach themselves to those individuals because they come across a large sum of money. Yes, that's such a great question, Genesis. So um, first of all, and I guess I'm biased in saying this, if you were to come into money, I would say first sit and wait on it. Just sit with it. Because one thing that people want to do is they want to just go spend it all because they have it. You know, this is such an exciting time, but you could blow through it very quickly. That's where one of those, you know, that's where one of those situations happens. Um, So just sit with it and enjoy seeing those extra zeros in your bank account. You know, so enjoy that piece first. And then you want to really go and ask yourself or ask, you know, if you have, if you and your partner, what's truly important to us? You know, what is it that fills us? Um, I, when I'm talking with my clients, I'll talk about what is it intrinsically that they need. So we have Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Where you're talking about your basics, food, shelter, but then what is it that, that you really really need on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. Um, I share that I need hugs for my boys, French vanilla coffee creamer, daily walks outside and chocolate peanut butter, which is probably why I need the daily walks outside. But some of those don't have financial costs, right? So when you come into a lot of money, first ask yourself before you decide to go splurge and, and buy a lot of things, what is it that is your enough? right? What fills you that you can then say, I can go, we're going to go and set up like this pot of money aside. And maybe we're going to go on that vacation that we've been talking about for years. Or maybe it's that this car has just been on our minds for so long. We, or, you know, we actually need a car right now. Those are, you know, these are intentions that you're setting for your money versus just, 
shooting from the hip and being like, we have it, let's go spend it, right? So it's really kind of first taking a, just a, a, a seat, looking at the numbers, talking both with, with yourself and possibly with your partner and saying, what is it that we truly, how do we want to make this money work for us? Mm, I like that. Talking to yourself and then your partner. And then also bringing in a paid professional who knows how to deal with money and one that you trust because not everyone that you bring in may, may be for you. So that's also vital too, to think about that because I've had some financial advisors where they were just there to get their commission at the end. And once I realized it, I was like, this is no longer beneficial to me or, um, or you because if I don't trust you, I'm not going to tell you everything. So then you see the invisible walls that go up. Now, um, Maggie, I want to unpack the first money script. So let's really dive into that one. And why is that one so important? Yes. So money focus, you know, a lot of people have said they just place money at the end, not the means to the end. Um, and I think, you know, there's been a little less emphasis on this during COVID that I've seen because we've been forced into such a unique situation during the pandemic in that, you know, when we're stuck in our homes, we are kind of looking at and reassessing everything. But even then you start to go, okay, maybe it's that job that's sucking your soul and you really want to go to maybe another job, right? That's, it, may, it might not pay as much, but can we, can we afford it? Um, and so money is the tool that will help you get to what you want, which is more content in your life, more calm in your life, you know, and kind of going back to what I talked about before, having that enough, you know, money, there's been multiple studies that show that past a certain income level, some studies have shown 75,000, some have shown 100,000. Once you get past that level, money is not going to keep buying incremental happiness. There's always going to be problems. They're always going to be exacerbated by money. And so, you know, you just really want to identify with what is really important to you and not focusing it on money to get you there. Having money act as a tool to help you make choices to get you there. Mm, I like that. See money as a tool and a resources to provide your needs as well as your wants, but don't let the focus on money consume you. Exactly, exactly. And Maggie, when you think about where you are currently, what led you to tap into the financial industry? Did you have parents with a financial background? Did they teach you at a young age or was it something that you just grew to love? Uh, so here's the funny story. Um, I was a bank teller. And the reason why I find it funny is I have met multiple people who I've talked with and they would say, I'm a, I was a bank teller too. Um, it was, I was a bank teller in high school and college. I really liked working with people's money, but I did not want to be a bank teller the rest of my life. And when I talked to my parents about it, my mom said, why don't you look at accounting? Because that is the international language of business. So that's how I got into working with people's numbers. In the accounting, I did public accounting for about 15 years and I then basically was working with high net worth individuals and their taxation, taxation issues. And that's fine, 
but I wasn't helping. I really wanted to go beyond the taxes. I wanted to go and really look at all the places that money can affect people. So I went over into the investment advisory space and joined an investment advisory firm about nine years ago. Really enjoyed that. Um, and was working with retirees and pre-retirees and just, you know, helping them get set up. So now, again, here they are, been accumulating their money and now it's time to spend it. But what I was finding was that their adult children were coming to us with questions. They had debt. They had cash flow issues. They didn't know. They had questions about student loans. They weren't sure what to do. And so we would provide them with a financial plan, and then we would send them along. But what I really wanted to do was I wanted to start walking with them on that path. And so what I tell people is I like to help my clients walk before they run. You know, so often when you're talking about financial planners, you know, so often people think that they have to have a certain amount of, you know, money or assets to qualify to even talk to a financial planner. And I hate that because everybody has money questions, you know, and, and I want it to be that people can just come and ask questions and not feel like they have to be qualified by their numbers. I don't even talk to my clients about their numbers actually until the third session of our working together because I want to find out their whys first. That's to me, again, the, the root cause analysis, that is their root. I'm looking for their whys. Mm, and that's so important because once you know their whys, you know their driving factors and you kind of know why they're why they think the way they think and what wires them as well as fuel them. So I like that you really um, go deep diving with them and beyond the surface level, because sometimes people, you know, they just want to get to the numbers Um get to the nitty gritty, but then you're like, wait, there may be other things that may be going on with that individual on maybe why they're, they're not pulling the trigger as fast enough and maybe some limiting beliefs and thoughts. And I know you also talk about the abundance and scarcity mindset and how that's tied into money because that can be a driving factor on how much money you make or if you want to start a business from and whether, you, whether you're starting that business from your passion and your purpose and you just got tired of you know, a blood-sucking job um, that's a nine-to-five in corporate America because a lot of people get burnt out. Let's talk about that because I think that could really help somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So here was an interesting paradigm shift I had for even myself when I had launched my firm with the abundance and scarcity mindset was that I went from thinking as a W-2 employee to being a self-employed business owner. And so my, I didn't realize that for me, I had a scarcity mindset because I had a W, I was a W-2 employee. There was a certain amount of money within my industry that I could earn. But then as a, as a you know, small business owner, I can do whatever I want, you know? And so I think, but then when I'm talking to other individuals, you can still have abundance and scarcity mindsets around money, even, you know, like say somebody is that business owner and says, I can go and I can go bring in this project. I can go create this and they're bringing in all this money, but then they turn around and they may have a scarcity mindset because they're terrified at investing in say the stock market, right? Because they're, they just, they're afraid that they may become a victim to it because they've seen the vol volatility in it. So I think you know, when it's 
the abundance and scarcity of, of really and relating it to money, it's going back to relating money as a tool that you're in the driver's seat. Money is the passenger, right? You're the one driving your decisions and how you're spending your money and how you're saving your money. Not to say, oh, well, this happened to me. And so there's nothing I can do about it. So I guess, you know, if I didn't get that raise, then we can't go on that vacation. No, what is it that you can do that you can promote yourself at your job? What is it that you can provide at the next performance review that you're saying, I've done all of these things and that is why I'm qualified and, you know, for this next raise. So there's so many things, so many facets and just abundance and scarcity and related to money, but those are just a few examples. And I like how you share those examples because it's so important to know what some of the examples are and what some of the reoccurring themes are. That way people listening to this can be like, oh, I said that, or I've done that. So they could start to make small, subtle changes that will help them, you know, walk into, you know, their unknown or step outside of their comfort zone. Because if you're so busy going around the circles, you're never going to be open to new possibilities and you're going to be stuck in that rut and life is going to pass you by. And before you know it, you're like, oh, wow, I've only had this, this amount in savings or I've lost this amount of money or whatnot. But if you start taking actions today, you could secure a better future. And one thing that I would love to see is more people talk about money in aspects with children at a young age, like primary and elementary school, so we could prepare them for success because there's not a lot of money management classes or tools or resources that are given to the kids that whenever they get to teenage years and, you know, college, they're just, you know, using these credit cards with high interest rates and they're getting themselves in so much debt. And not every school district has junior achievement that will come into the school to partner with them. And I did junior achievement and it was amazing. And whenever I was working for a Fortune 500 oil and gas company, I then turned around and volunteered as an employee with junior achievement. So what are your thoughts around that, Maggie? I, I was just, I'm just gesturing to Genesis and yes, junior achievement, I think is such a, such a valuable resource. I'm literally about to um, go and be a junior achievement teacher in my oldest third graders um, classroom. And it's, I think you can't teach, you, you can teach money. I was going to say, you can't teach money at an early enough age, but you can start to just share with them. So I share with um, my boys, I have several financial advisor friends who have written children's books about money that are just fun ways to learn about money. But I think in addition to those, and I can give you those so you can put them in the show notes. But I think another thing is, as you were talking about, if they don't have junior achievement, you know, if they don't have it, it's really looking for like that money mentor. So if there's someone who maybe, maybe your parents, you know, we're not the best with money and you really would love to meet someone or talk with somebody who, you know, you could ask those money questions to. That's when you just need to start observing your own, you know, your own background. Who is it that you see is a good steward of their money or who you think is a good steward of their money? And, you know, you can approach them and just say, I'd really like to talk with you because I think sometimes it's just having that initial conversation which would just open up the lines of communication. So often we may feel all, even as older adults, you know, what can I give to the younger generations? It's our experience and our wisdom. 
and knowing and, and experiencing what we've done and we can pass that along. So I think for the younger generations, if they don't have the, you know, those people in their lives, start looking at, you know, in your background, who, who have you seen before that you're like, wow, you really do a really great job with their money and, and just approach them and have that conversation. That's an amazing tip. And one thing that um, I tried with my nieces, I tell her, okay, if you get this money for doing chores, put some of it in your piggy bank. And then if you want to take some of it, you could buy something on Amazon. She loves Amazon. Or um, I've seen my sister-in-law say, okay, give me your 10% because we're going to pay it to church and they break it down that way. And I think that's really cool starting off with the piggy bank because it's fun and they're like, oh, I have all this money in it. And then, you know, you start to see them wanting to do more so then they can continue to grow their piggy bank. And even at a young age, you could even get your child a bank account and take them to the bank with you and show them how to make those deposits and those withdrawals and then teach them at a young age how to you know take 10% off if they give get this amount from doing their chores or a birthday gift or whatever say okay give me your 10% and then give them you know the 90 and let them manage their money and then whenever you see them doing something that's not right stop them so they go learn from that mistake. Yes, absolutely. So currently I have, um, my three boys are in third, second, and first grade, and we have three jars. They are save, spend, and share. And so they have 50% go to save, 40% go to spend, and 10% go to share. And so recently they had the opportunity to do, there was a coin wars at their school for their local children's hospital. And so they were able to take their share jars and dump them in a, a Ziploc bag and bring them to school. And they were so excited to do that because they understood what the giving meant because they've been saving for it. Um, and just like, so just like you said, we also have bank accounts for them. So then sometimes we will take with the money that is in their save jar and we'll say, okay, they don't like it as much because it's not something they can spend right away. But Sometimes we'll take the saved money to the bank account. I'll have them walk in with me. They'll get the receipt. It's not necessarily that it's fully, you know, that they're fully digesting it because again, they would rather spend it, but they're learning the process. They're learning what it means to save. And then sometimes that save jar might be for a longer term, you know, treasure to them. So it might be that the spend is something more immediate, but then the save is for something that they really have their eye, you know, their eye on. It's going to take a little bit longer. And so we might say, okay, that's what the save jar can be for. So it's, it's just working just like what we do with adults. It's just working within, you know, what is truly important to you and identifying that because we all know, you know, when we were kids, we wanted something really badly. Our mom and dad would say, well, no, you can save your own money for that. And you know what? All of a sudden that thing was not that important to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you realize you have to take it out of your own um, jar. And I like how you um, practice visualization with them, because they could visualize the three different jars. And that's super, super cool, Maggie. And as we wind down, Maggie, I want you to tell the listeners, as well as the viewers, how they can learn more about your business, um, make a money mind shift, and as well as connect with you on social media. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Genesis. This has been so much fun. So um, you can find my website, makeamoneymindshift.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook at Make a Money Mindshift on Instagram, Make a Money Mindshift LinkedIn, or you could just find me individually on LinkedIn. And I'm also on YouTube. Amazing. And Maggie, do you have a profound quote that you would like to leave the listeners and viewers with? Something to either educate, inspire, or motivate? My quote is just something that I will tell my clients, and that is challenge your present self to honor your future self. Mm, I love that. Challenge your present self to honor your future self. Amazing. So there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. You just heard Maggie Clockingay, and we talked about money scripts. So know your relationship with money. See money as a tool and a resource to provide for your needs and wants, but don't go crazy taking money that you have and letting it consume you to the point where it burdens you. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms and follow us on YouTube at Gems with Genesis Amars Kemp. Have yourself an amazing day and see yourself as an asset versus a liability. You got this. Thank you for listening to another segment of Gems Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share and subscribe to gems podcast on your audio platform as well as our youtube channel gems with genesis amaris kemp we would love for you to be a sponsor so please reach out via email at gems g-e-m-s with w-i-t-h genesis g-e-n-e-s-i-s amaris a-m-a-r-i-s kemp K-E-M-P at gmail.com where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.